peace and love, war and hate. Can there be war and love? Does love lead us to war? Does war's spectrum of emotions include love? War is a unique human condition in which one can feel a huge variety and breadth of emotions and feelings. Extreme boredom interspersed with extreme excitement and huge adre adre adrenaline rushes. You can witness the majesty, the shock and the awe of weapons destructive power in one moment and sheer terror and humiliating fear in the next. War contains the broadest spectrum of contrasting and conflicting feelings of any life experience I can think of. Together with the deepest lows and the highest highs, compacted into sometimes singular moments. Are men drawn to war due to these emotional rushes? Reverend Alice last week pointed out how stories can control our lives. I was, as many of you, raised with many of the stories in this book, the Bible. These stories permeate our society. As war seems to constantly draw humans to it, is there something about war that thrills us and pleases God? Judeo-Christian teachings and their stories have affected all of us, all of our lives. We have had one nation under God inserted into the Pledge of Allegiance. In God We Trust has virtually replaced E Pluribus Unum from many one as our national motto. And these biblical stories espouse that we are the beloved of God. We have learned about divine Christian love and God's love for his chosen. In the New Testament, the use of the word beloved implies more than human affection. It suggests esteem for others that comes from recognizing their value as children of God. Beloveds are more than friends. They are brothers and sisters in Christ and therefore highly valued. The Song of Solomon from this book lifts affection out of mere love into the realm of the spiritual and possibly messianic. Both words are used for God's love for his chosen. Paul terms God's elect, holy and beloved in Colossians. War and love, especially God's love, are intertwined and inescapably, I'm sorry, inseparable biblically. Is smiting one's enemies part of God's plan for his beloved? Further, is war commanded by God? In the Old Testament, we have Deuteronomy 20 verses 15 through 17. This is how you are to treat all the cities that are far away from you and do not belong to the nations nearby. However, in the cities of the nations that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, you must not leave alive anything that breathes, for you must devote them to complete destruction. And then it goes on to list six tribes specifically for destruction. 
as the Lord your God has commanded you. In other words, kill all living things for the glory of God. In a paper entitled The Terrible Side of Human Duty by D. Davies, he argues in defending this Deuteronomy passage that excessive wickedness requires men of God to conduct complete destruction. That there is, and I quote, a stage in our moral disease when the remedy of mercy ceases to take effect. It becomes a savor of death unto death. With the breath of his mouth shall he slay the wicked. And in 1 Samuel 15, 3, now go and attack the Amalekites and devote to destruction all that belongs to them. Do not spare them, but put to death men and women, children and infants, oxen and sheep, camels and donkeys. And in Numbers 21, verse 3, and the Lord heard Israel's plea and delivered up the Canaanites. Israel devoted them and their cities together with all their kings, leaving no survivors. He devoted to destruction everything that breathed, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had commanded. And in Exodus 23, 31, and I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, and from the desert to the Euphrates. For I will deliver the inhabitants into your hand, and you will drive them out before you. Does that bring anything to mind? My favorite hymn as a youngster was Onward Christian Soldiers. Various versions are sung by virtually all Christian denominations, Protestant, Catholic, Mormon, and of course, the Salvation Army. And it goes like this. <clears throat> Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ the royal master leads us against the foe. Forward into battle, see his banners go. And the chorus is Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. I'm not gonna repeat the chorus after these other verses. At the sign of triumph, Satan's host doth, host doth flee. On then Christian soldiers, on to victory. Hell's foundations quiver at the shout of praise. Brothers, lift your voices, loud your anthems raise. Like a mighty army moves the church of God. Brothers, we are treading where the saints have trod. We are not divided, all one body we, one in hope and doctrine, one in charity. What the saints established that I hold for true, what the saints believed that I believe too, long as earth endureth, men of faith will hold kingdoms, nations, empires, in destructions rolled. And the chorus, onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. War and love, 
especially the love of God and God's love for his beloved, those that believeth in him, seem very much intertwined in the Judeo-Christian stories. And I would argue consequently are interwoven within the cloth of our society. These stories have permeated and been inculcated in me as a young man and most of the rest of us, whether we really believe them now or not. These stories of the beloved of God have impacted and even controlled our societal view of war. As I was growing up, these stories and songs made it too easy for me at the time to go to war. If not for these stories, we might, we might not have heard Kill a Commie for Christ during the 50s and 60s, and maybe would not even have had a Vietnam War. Is killing a commie for Christ still a thing, by the way? I know that in the early 2000s, I was called a communist as a county board of supervisor at several public hearings. Yet I was the only board member that had actually pulled the trigger on supposed communists. Is this the kind of love that should take us to war? In Jenna Korff's service two weeks ago, she said some questions defy having words as answers. She argued that for some questions, the answers must be lived rather than formulating verbal answers. This really resonated with me. What is the kind of love that should take us to war? Probably one of the best express expressions of the tension between war and love and that demonstrates how interwoven they are, is Sullivan Ballou's letter to his wife prior to the first battle of Bull Run as portrayed in Ken Burns' PBS Civil War documentary. God is mentioned, but he is not the God of war. Ballou expresses deeply human emotions about love, what his dying will mean to his wife and his children his love for the cause to preserve the union and our form of government and to repay a debt to those gone before. Humanist causes. Love is an integral part of war. In fact, I would argue that love can be more intensely felt in war than in any other human condition. However, is combined with the most debased of human emotions and actions as well. You might want to read what happened to Sullivan Ballou's body after the battle. To me, Sullivan Ballou's letter exemplifies the kind of love that would legitimately take us to war, unlike what took me to Vietnam twice. The Vietnam War may have influenced my commander in chief of a year ago, where in a private conversation, he referred to military dead as suckers and losers. Ballou's letter expresses deep love of wife and children, love of our form of government as a symbol of American civilization and love of comrades in arms repay debt to those gone before.
The causes Ballou was killed for in his war did not seem to translate well to the causes I risked my life for and others died for in Vietnam. In Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, dedicating a Union Cemetery for the Battle of Gettysburg's Fallen, Lincoln said in part, we've come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. And he goes on to say, but in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. Humans consecrated this ground, not God. And the cause for which they had their lives taken was to preserve the union and its government that was being rededicated to the proposition that all men are created equal, thus abolishing the institution of slavery within our borders. These were humanistic causes. The kind of love that takes us to war is critical to us fighting the right wars. Organized religions, especially Judeo-Christian religious religions in our country, have not done well at this, and their stories help to explain why. But back to Jenna's live the questions. Many answers are felt rather than spoken. The actual living of love and justice is the task, rather than using sappy words all the time. Using repetitively the same words over and over does not make it so. It dilutes their power. It reduces them to overused slogans, thus giving rise to saccharine and trite feelings when you see or hear them. What is the kind of love that would take you to war? Are you the beloved of God, God's chosen, and therefore susceptible to letting this kind of love take you to war? Or have you developed more humanistic causes, ones that require a higher standard and a different kind of love? And that different kind of love would take you to war. And as in Flanders fields, we are the dead. Short days ago, we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders fields. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep. Not only soldiers lie there, but all whose dreams perished with them. There are no markers for these. No markers for the mothers and fathers, widows and widowers, sons and daughters, the unborn children. No markers for the uncounted and largely invisible wounded and damaged survivors. No markers for the massive non-combatant suffering and losses. And no markers for those having worked for peace. By honoring dead soldiers only, we mislead ourselves as to the costs of war. And this makes us more prone to be pulled into the swell 
and swirl of war when next its flame starts to build. I'm greatly affected during this time of year by all of this, the memories, the ghosts of the dead I have known, the wounds, the destruction, the agony and pain, the anguish, the depression and dark places you can sometimes find yourself. May all of it not be in vain. May the loss of all these lives be not in vain. May they rest in peace knowing that we shall never forget and that we will honor their struggle by working much harder for peace and justice and insist on a high standard for the love required to take us to war. On this day, I ponder the words that we have used to bring us as a nation and as a people to engage in war. What emotions those words stir up. And I hope we carefully choose those words for war has such a very heavy cost and we have yet to repay the debts incurred from our current and previous wars. Blessed be.